welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Jordan Yule, TYT contributor, remarkable analyst. All right. Top story of the day. The killer, the mass shooter who was exposed to extreme racism and engaged in extreme racism, also wanted to kill Eminem, wanted to purge Machine Gun Kelly, but praised Clarence Thomas. Let's put him up full mass. Hell of a background, some more details are now emerging about the racist ideologies of the murderer who committed the race slaying in Jacksonville at a Dollar General last weekend. According to his manifesto, rap artists like Eminem, Machine Gun Kelly needed to be purged while Justice Clarence Thomas deserved praise. The white papers were listed in a vile, nearly 30 page manifesto left by Ryan Palmiter. Point of one, after he shot up a Dollar General in Jacksonville on Saturday with two guns, including a swastika painted AR-15 style rifle, according to excerpts seen by Rolling Stone. So let's put him up. He goes on to refer to the rappers as targets that should be killed on site, among other horrific details. It says, according to the New York Post, Eminem stared the abyss being inwardly and the abyss stared back becoming a and then the N word again. Palmer wrote, while also sharing dreams of a race war, walks the edge of the N word lover, an honorary N word, fell off not because his new stuff sucked, but because the lyrics were gay, annoying, liberal ish. Row for total N word death. Is to include Eminem as a valid target, and he is to be killed on sight. There's more. Colson Baker, aka Machine Gun Kelly, honorable N word, to be killed on sight like Eminem, because I didn't get a shot. I didn't get a shot at him in Ohio. He wrote, it was not clear when or where. He had the apparent close interaction with the star in the Buckeye State. Among the hatred, Palmer found room for sentiment with this individual, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, as well as terrorist Timothy McVeigh. Inspiration for what would not long after result in three innocent deaths. In his hateful spew, Palmer also praised Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's conservative policies. And Timothy McVeigh, the domestic terrorist who killed 168 people in the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, noting he now lives in our hearts. End quote. Now, obviously, this is extreme. Obviously, this is racist and racist ideology. But remember, he has been radicalized by individuals in mainstream 
media, yeah, and also mainstream politics. They have made him believe that somehow the conservative ideology is a racist and right ideology. And he decided to start implementing the dreams, the fantasies inside of his mind. Now he had a mental health issue, at least we know of one a few years back. But he was still able to purchase at least two of the weapons legally after it was noted he had this mental health issue. He was held under the Baker's Act in the state of Florida, which said, listen, this individual doesn't need to have access to anybody for at least a number of hours. But why was he still able to purchase weaponry? Well, that's because the same individuals who want to tell you that the most dangerous thing is critical race theory, which isn't even taught. Those are the people who opposed common sense legislation, red flag laws, opportunities to adjust the societal construct based on the reality that presents today. So while yes, the constitution provides for the right to bear arms, you also have the right to life. And when those rights conflict, there must be nuance and leadership fighting so that the progress of this nation can move forward. Jordan, thoughts here. Yeah, this is just a story we're seeing over and over and over again, unfortunately. A lone white male who from reports from his father spent all of his time in his room, lived in his room basically because he failed out of college. What do you think he was doing there? What do you, how do you think he was spending his time? I, I'm sure as the investigation goes on, we will find that he spent time on forums like 4chan and 8chan and other sites like that where we see these white racist you know, domestic terrorists interact with each other, learn from each other, share their hatred among one another and then go out and act because they wanna get credibility and recognition from those strangers on the internet. I mean, this is this is terrible. The people in that community went to that store, that Dollar General, because they lived in a food desert. This was the only resource they had for the most part for necessities, for groceries, for household items. I mean. There are so many layers to this. The way cities are planned and structured, the racist history of that, especially in the South. You have people targeting what little resources marginalized communities, black Americans have because of their hatred. It's just there's layers and layers and layers of it. And to your point about gun laws, Florida's had multiple attempts to ban AR-15s, AR-15s since 2018, multiple that Republicans in the state legislature and ultimately the state Supreme Court rejected. I mean, in 2018, this kid would have been 20, uh, he would have been 14. <clears throat> and he wouldn't have had access to guns from then on. But no, no, they're, they're, they, they want everyone to have access to these weapons of war, but they're targeting kids' books, they're targeting classrooms, they're targeting teachers. Their, their priorities are totally inverted. And what happens is innocent people get killed. That's right. Bad policy kills people, bad policy kills people. Good policy creates life, preserves it, creates quality of life. 
hell of a story, could have been even worse. Jeffrey Harris, armed with a shotgun, was prevented entry into a mostly black Pennsylvania church, possibly stopping a racially motivated mass shooting. In response, Harris raised his loaded 12 gauge shotgun at two women standing at an intersection on the corner of Melrose Avenue and 4th Street near the location of the church. Police officers received a criminal complaint at about 9 a.m. About the incident between the two women and Harris and went to investigate. The officers in an interview with church bishop Kenneth Crum were told that Harris was denied entry to the church because the service was simply too packed. Crum told the officers that had he just come an hour later, he would have been allowed entry and was grateful this did not happen. Harris would eventually be confronted by Ambridge police and would point his gun at the officer on the scene. The officer called for backup and with some assistance managed to not kill him, but arrest him. He now faces several charges such as aggravated assault, terrorist threats. Crystal meth was discovered on Harrison's body after the arrest. Police later searched his home and discovered that his porch was covered in slippery lubricant. Officers even found a weapons case with a drilled hole, creating a tactical position from the occupant, from which the occupant would fire at the front door from a protected position. That's in case anybody came in to get him. A bomb squad was called to Harris's home to deactivate a device suspected to be an explosive. Late officers found even more crystal meth, a cache of weapons, and a handwritten note detailing plans for a mass shooting. So Harris failed attempt was less than 24 hours after this guy, Ryan Christopher Palmiter, in tactical gear, killed three black people inside and outside a Dollar General store in Jacksonville, Florida, before turning one of his guns on himself. In Harris's case, the bomb was set at $975,000. A preliminary hearing is set up for September 5th. Let me just count some of the ironic nuances of this almost mass shooting. Number one, he pointed his shotgun at the police and lived to tell about it. Because the police still figured out a way to apprehend a man who seemed hell bent on killing somebody, especially black folks. He pointed his gun at the police, it's in the report, he was still arrested. He was attempting to gain entry into a church, the church was too crowded. So he was not able to shoot a lot of black people at one time. It looks as if his mode of operation was about how many. And because he could not get a large crowd, he decided obviously not to engage completely. And then what they found at his home, obviously evidence of his willingness to harm or kill somebody who goes to his house for investigation. 
And the fact that he even received a bond at all. So he has methamphetamine on his body. He has meth in his home and a booby trap along with a way to kill someone and be protected. He tried to gain entry into a church and commit a mass shooting against black people. But he still gets a bond. Do you know how many people received a no bond? As a matter of fact, the black director for Voices for Trump in Fulton County caught up in the scandal of trying to overthrow democracy. Well, he received no bond, but the would-be mass shooter received a bond of less than a million dollars at that. There is something terribly wrong with that picture. All right, Jordan Thoms. Yeah, what we see so many times in cases like this are the perpetrators or you know attempted killers talking in their manifestos or online about the need for a race war. But what does that look like in reality? It is just psychotic white racists with guns going out and killing innocent people. There isn't some equal you know, countermeasure from black Americans. They're living their lives, they're trying to just see tomorrow. Going about their days and you have lunatics out there with guns. And you think about the response that we've seen from Republicans all over the country to a single college trans swimmer placing in fifth and tying with another swimmer. We have heard about this, these two swimmers now for I think years. And as a result, you've seen legislation all over the country trying to ban trans people from sports, top down. You know they have the capacity to immediately take legislative action to crack down on things that they oppose. But here, time and time and time and time again, when black people are killed by racist white people with guns who have been radicalized on the internet, nothing happens. They throw up their hands, say, oh, thoughts and prayers, we're, so, we're thinking of the families. And then they change nothing, they do nothing, and they continue taking money from the NRA. How do they expect? anything to change. I would argue they don't because they don't want it to. Because at their core, they're just as racist and they like the outcome. There you go. They don't want to offend their major base. A school gets a bomb threat because of a play date with yep, people of color, their families. Let's put it up for a mass. Police in Oakland, California had to evacuate one of the city's schools after it received a bomb threat days after the school was the site of a play date for its black, brown, Asian American students. 30 students and staff members already on campus were moved to a baseball field next to the school. Those arriving were prohibited from going into the building as OPD officers, deputies and the Alameda County Sheriff's Office and their K-9 unit searched the premises. So family members of the students and administrators say they received backlash by having the event period. With members of the predominantly white and affluent community crying reverse racism. We are so offended. 
Pamela Jackson, a parent of a black student at the school and a member of the equity and inclusion group, received emails based on the event. Quote, they decided to start emailing us threats, asked if we wanted a race war. It was something mentioned of being locked in chains and released back in the jungle where we belong. She said during an interview with KTVU News. A conservative social media account, Libs of TikTok, made a post about the event. They did this on Monday, August 28th and called the school racist against white people, end quote. So you see it, a California elementary school reportedly held a race segregated play date social for all students except the white kids. A parent blasted the school on social media, we'll look back. And cringe so hard that we tried to beat racism by segregating kids of color from white kids. End quote. The Oakland Unified School District received the threats on that same day and contacted local authorities. When the school received it the next day, Tuesday, August 29th, they also immediately contacted authorities. Oakland Police Captain Lisa Osmus says her department responded to a bomb threat. At Shabot Elementary around 7.30 a.m., she said the school received a bomb threat with thinly veiled racist language. As a result, the school was evacuated. Also in California, the Mary L. Stevens Davis Library, that's in Davis, had been hit with a series of bomb threats after it kicked out a group of supporters of the right wing Moms for Liberty. That was meeting there. The library was evacuated Monday morning after receiving a threat filled with anti-LGBTQ slurs. And students at a nearby high school and elementary school sheltered in place after the bomb threat, according to the Sacramento Bee. Investigators said Monday's threat was similar to ones made August 21st and August 25th. So there's this pattern or MO. And they believe they're related to a heated meeting held at the library on August 20th that involved the anti-LGBTQ group Moms for Liberty. The group hosted a forum at the library to discuss fair and safe sports for girls. But an official asked the speaker at the event to leave after repeatedly referring to transgender female youth athletes as biological males. It seems likely that these events are related, said Lieutenant Dan Beckwith of Davis police, they are similar in nature. Let me highlight a few realities that must take place now. Why is this really happening? Now keep in mind, the people who are doing this, they know it's illegal. But they have measured a few things. They have measured the police department's willingness to take things like this seriously, to go all out or not in their investigative prowess. They have measured, they have calculated that if they simply engage in a few, well, let's just say tactics to not be discovered, then law enforcement will not put in the extra effort to find them. That's one calculation. Another calculation is worst case scenario. They are caught. They know that likely they will serve zero prison time. They will get possibly a fine and guaranteed probation. Still, they weigh the risk 
based on what they believe is the reward. But I guarantee you this, start passing laws right now to make actions like this have a mandatory minimum. And that mandatory minimum is leveraged on the first person to violate that law. And hold a press conference like you do with 17 year old gang member. Hold a press conference, put the picture up and say, we're going to make an example out of people like this. You know what you will see happen? Less, less moments where babies are afraid to go to school. And school teachers are unable to teach because of the hatred inside of the hearts of individuals who would suggest they love Jesus. Their ideology has always been full of hate. Look at the groups in the 60s, the white bigoted groups in the 60s were hell bent on violence against black people or dynamics of diversity. Today, same thing, the groups today hell bent on violence. You have lawmakers, state of Georgia, United States Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and others who are literally calling for open war, conflict, civil combat. Once again, rooted in an ideology of hate and violence. All right, thoughts brother. Well, this account lives of TikTok. This isn't their first instance of inspiring death threats against people. This has gone back years. Whether it's schools, individual teachers, children's hospitals, pride events, there is a pattern between what this person posts and tries to scaremonger over and threats, militias showing up, people losing their jobs. This is a purely a hate account. And this this woman behind it, Chaya Rychik, I believe her name is, tried to do it anonymously for a while. And when a reporter realized because of her domain registration, she didn't obscure her identity, realized who was behind this account that was fueling all of these threats, fueling all of this hate and harassment to random public school teachers. Let's be clear, one of the most thankless jobs in the country. She went out to target and and harass and intimidate and ultimately try to get fired. Many public school teachers because of their gender identity, their orientation, or just trying to create a welcoming space in their classroom. This person, when the reporter found out who it was, as any good reporter does, went to the home that was listed on the domain registration, knocked on the door, tried to get an interview, get more information. For weeks, this woman, cried foul, claimed she was the target of harassment as a result. She has no problem inspiring death threats, harassment, emails, calls from lunatics online who follow her. But the moment a reporter peacefully comes to her door and knocks on the door, as any good reporter does, she's worried, she's scared, and she goes into hiding. I mean, it's just totally, totally blatant hypocrisy from this person who ultimately knows what they're doing and revels in it. That's it. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Oh, yeah, baby, I will. I know. Just because you're black, don't mean you're that. Okay. 
Well, we'll see. Well, we'll see. Back the shut up. You're disrespectful, mother. Thirty goddamn minutes, and you told me twenty. And then you're running your mouth. Come on. have more video but I want to do this first. Let's put up the picture of the Karen full mask before I go to the second video. Um, it is ironic this uh, dollar general Karen was upset that she was informed by the store's manager that they were in fact closing leading to the outrageous scene. When told she would not be allowed to check out her items due to her behavior. She throws items at the manager and throws up her fist as if to threaten her, saying, quote, she needs her face slapped off. All right, here we go. So you didn't do anything, Karen. Um, savages over items in the dollar general. Ma'am, your behavior is embarrassing. Right, let's put the picture up again, cause somebody knows you, all right? Somebody will claim you. If you know this Karen, it is time for an intervention in a serious way. What she's doing is dangerous. This could have worked out completely differently than it did. Uh, the manager then tells someone to record so that she would be protected by evidence of self-defense if Karen hits first. This is when the recorder lets them know she's got the whole thing on video. Karen changes her tone, but this doesn't stop her from calling the manager the N-word, right? Here it is. Record this. No. Go ahead. Recording when the cussing started. <laughs> what you mean? Oh, but she can tell people to get out of her store. Yeah, she can't hey, see the manager. Yeah. She let everybody She's know. Yeah. She let everybody know. There's no sense in that. Nice. You have a blessed night. Okay. I'm scared. A blessed night. Sorry, y'all. Have a blessed night after a ruby. Have a blessed night, love. Fuck you. Okay. My man does. Very well. Oh, wow. Good night. Yeah, I know. Whoa. Well, she just started. Let's let go. Let's let go. Cause my ass, you gotta go. I'm going home. Come on, come on. 
Oh, well, don't oh, touch no. your hands on I didn't touch them. Because if you do, it's on you camera. Do it's recorded. I wonder. It don't matter. Okay, go ahead. I ain't done it. I didn't say nothing. Come on, Karen. Right. You're going to be TikTok famous. Yeah, well, not TikTok famous, indisputable famous. Here's the thing, that manager, that Dollar General employee of the freaking year should receive a raise. I promise you, I will give you a job in a minute managing anything. Remarkable, well done. To the Karen, um, obviously racist. It came out at the end there, utilizing the N word, giving it away. No question about the motivation behind this kind of action. But here's the other dynamic. She should have been taken to jail. Um, this kind of behavior is going to continue to permeate until individuals who believe they can act in this way, until they are held accountable. You will see this action over and over again. Now to some degree, we um, teach people how to treat us. We teach them how to treat us by how we either A, hold them accountable or choose not to, all right? All right, uh, Jordan, hell of a situation here. Manager handled it quite well. The Karen, however, in my opinion, should have been held to a stiffer penalty. Yeah, this is absurd. Like all of these videos, we always go back to how you should never treat someone working at a store or a restaurant or really anybody at all, but especially someone at a store or a restaurant like this, anyone in the service industry, never treat anyone like that. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm assuming even though this person is a manager, they make an hourly wage because that's how Dollar General and other stores treat their workers. This got to stop. Mitch McConnell again caught in one of those moments. Here it is. Senator, you're up for election in three short years. What are your thoughts on that? I'm sorry, I had a hard time hearing you. That's okay. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh. Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? Yes. All right, I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. Senator. Penny. This is elder abuse. Those who are his handlers are allowing this to continue trying to hide this and hide that stage opportunities where he's not truly challenged. And even in their best efforts, they cannot hide the reality of where Mitch McConnell is health-wise right now. Remember this one.
Let's put up the picture full mass. He is the Senate minority leader. He's in charge of important things, important stuff. Republican out of Kentucky. So he appeared to freeze up again and was unable to answer a reporter's repeated question, very simple question. McConnell halted for about 30 seconds after he was asked if he would run for reelection in 2026. This is the second time the 81 year old Republican leader has seemed to be unable to speak. Now you have to understand this is not the second time it has happened. This is the second time it has happened on camera, okay? On camera. At a press conference in Covington, a reporter posed the question to McConnell about running for reelection in 2026. As the senator turned to face the audience, he stopped speaking. An aide in a blue suit came up to McConnell and loudly asked, Did you hear the question, Senator? McConnell opened his mouth a little and then closed it. The aide told the gathered media that they'll need a minute, and another came to escort McConnell away from the makeshift podium. That's according to NBC News. McConnell had been speaking for about 20 minutes before the episode. Aides had to repeat the questions to McConnell multiple times. Apparently, on the ground, reporters did not ask questions about his lap. A spokesperson told NBC News that McConnell, quote, feels fine. Which is great thing, a great thing to hear about someone with so much power over live. Leader McConnell felt momentarily lightheaded and paused during his press conference today, they told NBC News, adding that the senator will be seeking out medical attention. I've been lightheaded before. That's not what happened. So he, he was lightheaded twice. There's a cause and effect to being lightheaded. So blood pressure dynamic. So why was he lightheaded? Is there a doctor that can attest to these, well, let's just say acclamations from the camp? I want to remind everyone of something that happened in March to McConnell. In March, McConnell suffered a concussion, according to the record, and broke a rib after falling and hitting his head after a dinner event at a hotel. He did not return to the Senate for almost six weeks. Since he returned, he has appeared to walk more slowly. And his speech has often sounded more halting. In other words, he could have a severe issue happening with him. But because he is their proximity to power, and because they're able to get what they want, possibly even manipulate him at this point to a significant degree. They keep him in power knowing he's a shell of his true self. Now, I don't like Mitch McConnell. I don't like his politics. I really, I detest the man, but I understand he's an elder, he's old, he's over 80. And the people who are pushing him as if He's going to somehow get it back together. Listen, you can hide all you want to hide. There are people who are on the other side of these damn policies that you're passing. And they're adversarial to communities who trusted you. Now McConnell, I believe you have enough faculty in you to say it's time to hang it up. I think you still have that. 
Sir, I encourage you to make a decision quickly while you still have the opportunity for the decision to be yours. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. Yeah, this, this note from the doctor uh, saying McConnell's cleared for work is hilarious. They, they write, occasional lightheadedness is not uncommon in concussion recovery and can also be expected as a result of dehydration. I mean, like you say, we've now seen it twice in what, two weeks? And that's what we've seen on camera. It's it's not, it's, it's, it's sorry, it is safe to assume this has likely happened at other times. They all know it's happening. That's why they have a quick response to rush in and help him get him out of there. They know what's going on. I also wanna remind people of a story that came out in 2017 where a pharmacist in DC wrote about their time shadowing another pharmacist in the Capitol Hill area where they were filling Alzheimer's prescriptions or members of Congress. Wow. They know these people have, some of them are developing Alzheimer's, some of them are senile and no one's doing anything about it. And like you say, these people have power over us. And you have to also in this conversation include Feinstein, who is very, very clearly being propped up by not just her staff, but also as I think it was Politico a couple weeks ago reported, the Pelosi family. You know, they they have worked very closely, including Pelosi's daughter, worked very closely with Feinstein, her family, and her staff to keep her in power because they think if she resigns early, Newsom will appoint someone like Barbara Lee. But they want who is who is running for for Feinstein's seat. They want Adam Schiff, a white guy, national security guy, champion of the military industrial complex. They want Adam Schiff. They want to deprive one of the best <laughs> black women in Congress yep. ever. I mean, there unfortunately there's not a big pool to pull from, but Barbara Lee is iconic. And they want to deprive her of her seat, and they think that if if they just drag this out long enough, Adam Schiff will win the election versus her getting the seat by appointment. Which, again, layers to that, but that's the situation with 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 Diane Feinstein, which is just truly abhorrent to watch play out. Yep, it's horrible. And I will say this: there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong when a person develops Alzheimer's or any other condition because human bodies go through that. Dementia is a serious and debilitating disease. I watched my grandmother go through it's very tough. It doesn't get better just by osmosis, it gets worse. So there's nothing wrong with the part that says I'm a little bit not me right and it's time for me to move on. But the people around you, the people around you are supposed to help you make that decision. All right, I guarantee you if he stays, it's gonna be more moments like we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. $100 million settlement for victims of a school abuse case. We're talking about students basically kidnapped, handcuffed, malnourished, starved, and more. Put up the picture of the institution. 
I got names, I got pictures, I got background. I got a lot. A possible record settlement was reached in a child abuse case against the now permanently closed Miracle Meadow School in Salem, West Virginia. Attorneys for the victims announced Wednesday the settlement's total $100 million after years of litigation. It is believed to be a record amount for such a case in the state. The civil case was initially filed in 2017. And these details are going to be gruesome. And nearly all cases were consolidated under a case that was settled in 2020 for 52 million. The case with the $100 million settlement wrapped up Wednesday, according to a press release from the law firm representing the plaintiffs. There are also additional cases that are still pending. The victims that attorneys Guy DeAndrea of Laffey, Abuchi and Kent LLP, Jesse Forbes of Forbes Law Offices, PLC and Scott Long of um, Hendrickson and Long. PLLC represent are now adults. Miracle Meadows School was a Christian boarding school that purported to serve children ages 7 to 17 who had not, excuse me, who had behavioral or educational issues. Some had learning disabilities. Hundreds of students experienced horrifying and extreme mental, sexual, and physical abuse during the school's operation between 1987 and 2014, the release said including being handcuffed, chained, and shackled to beds, kept in small isolation rooms for months at a time, forced to sleep on concrete floors and use coffee cans in place of bathrooms, sexually assaulted, deprived of medical care, starved, malnourished, forced to perform manual labor and beaten routinely. Put them up. The school was forced to shut down in August of 2014. Remember, they've been in operation since 1987. They were forced to shut down after a teacher, that guy, Timothy Arrington, was arrested after being accused of choking and handcuffing a student. School administrator, let's put her up, uh, Susan Gail Clark, keep her picture up, was handed several charges after an investigation. She actually pleaded guilty to child neglect, creating risk of bodily injury, failure to report, and obstructing an officer and was sentenced to only six months in jail, five years probation. The Harrison County Sheriff's Department also uncovered sex abuse and physical assault at the school during their investigation. Meanwhile, in the five years leading up to the school's closing, Miracle Meadows had been named in more than a dozen complaints of abuse and mistreatment. Such complaints to the state are typically forwarded to the local prosecutor. Put her up, per the Associated Press at the time. Harrison County Assistant Prosecutor Patricia Dettori said substantiating the complaints over the years had been difficult. 
in part because many students were from out of state. Keep her face up. Ma'am, I have a theory here. And granted, it is my personal opinion. I think you didn't give a damn about these students because their parents weren't connected to your voter base. And because their parents were not connected to your voter base, you did not do your job to make sure justice was served against criminals in your jurisdiction and standing up for the victims who were children. She said the children either were taken out of school or recanted delegations while many members of the school staff were from other countries on religious work visas and would abruptly leave if accused of wrongdoing. Once again, any prosecutor worth their weight would have been able to work through the nuances of that because you have something really powerful. It's called subpoena power. You go to a judge, you say this is what's happening. It is intimidation of victims and I need them here. Because this school has to close down now. Since 1987, it was allowed to operate in this manner. Can you imagine the number of victims from 1987 until 2014? Every system operator, every system operator, I'm talking about prosecution, police, investigator, you all have this on your hand too. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. I mean, this is this is the type of grooming and uh, attacks and harm caused to children that the right likes to pretend, uh, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community perpetrates, which is not true. I mean, time and time again, we've seen religious groups. In this case, a religious school, but uh, members of the clergy, you know, the Catholic Church or other pastors, they're more often than not the ones doing this. And we don't see a fraction of the focus that, you know, accounts like Libs of TikTok or Mothers for Liberty, all of these right-wing fringe groups who lead these mobs to harass unsuspecting innocent school teachers. They will never direct their anger here. It's we're going to single out teachers, we're going to single out members of the LGBTQIA plus community. It's trans athletes. Oh, the Catholic the Catholic Church with decades and decades of abuse that they knew was happening and covered up churches church schools like this members you know youth pastors all over the country not a problem we're going to focus on the lgbtqia plus community well, meanwhile kids are actually being harmed yep if you're really concerned about this there there you go there's your perpetrator go go, go after them no it's it's it is to target the members of the LGBTQIA plus community to create division and ultimately a political wedge issue. They really don't care about right. the well-being of kids. That's right. That's why we got to get better leaders in local office in particular. A cop gets shot in the leg because of a road rage incident. It's a hell of a story. Put the picture up full mass. I'll buckle up your seatbelt, no pun intended. According to police, an off-duty NYPD cop was shot in the leg during a road rage fueled clash with two brothers in Queens. 
Wednesday afternoon. Bystander video captured the shocking moment. The gunshot went off as the three men grappled on the ground. You see it there. It was not immediately clear whether someone fired the weapon or if it went off accidentally. The wild footage then shows one brother taken off after the shot rang out, leaving the other straddling the officer in the middle of the street. And you see it there. According to NYPD Chief of Detectives, Jeffrey Madry and police sources, the cop was driving a green Kia along Queens Boulevard around 12.50 PM when he pulled up to a white minivan that was blocking the roadway. The chief of D's said the officer was able to get around the minivan and continued on his way until both drivers met up again and exchanged words. I wonder who was the aggressor, at which point, according to the chief, the driver's brother ran up behind the cop's car and smashed the rear window. Magic told reporters, quote, the off-duty officer exited his vehicle, identified himself as a police officer and drew his firearm on the two males and announced that the male was under arrest for breaking his window. In the bystander video, the officer officer can be heard saying, quote, get on the ground, bro, I'm a police officer, end quote, as he holds the brothers at gunpoint. The off-duty cop can then be heard on the phone calling for help as one of the men taunts him, quote, wave the gun at me. And the other repeat, shoot me, shoot the effing gun, okay, end quote. You thought you was tough, one of the brothers yells. I'm tougher than you, you tried to run over me. That's why I hit that ish. The chief, Madry, said the cop reholstered his weapon and tried to hold one of the suspects waiting for uniformed officers to arrive. When the two got into a struggle and during the tussle, the other brother came up from behind, putting the cop in a chokehold as both brothers started fighting him. At one point, they pushed up, pushed him up on the car. And according to the chief, he tried to unholster his weapon and take the weapon from him. One of the brothers can be heard warning the other to leave him. He's a cop, end quote. I didn't do nothing. I didn't do ish, the other yells. You're not going to threaten me with a gun, the cop grabbed his gun while trying to retain the weapon. The chief said, then all three went down to the ground with the brothers on top of our officer continuing to punch him and kick him. At which point, a round is discharged from the officer's weapon, the chief said. The other brothers, the other brother, excuse me, continued to fight with the officer until another round was discharged. Moments later, uniformed cops arrive as one of, one of the men can be heard crying, he shot my brother. Both brothers, 32-year-old Edwin and 27-year-old Sean Rivera, were taken into custody. They were charged. The charges are pending, according to the police. One was arrested at the scene; the other was busted at a local hospital. He showed up with a gun wound to his hand. The officer assigned to Brooklyn's 81st Precinct suffered a gunshot wound to the left thigh. He was taken to the Elmhurst Hospital Center to be treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Cops and sources say, quote, I had an opportunity to visit our officer, Madry said, he's in good spirits. 
you know, who was the aggressor does matter. You're talking about a plainclothes cop. Um, individuals have been opining on this, obviously, to say, well, you know, once he identified himself as a police officer, everything should have simply um, stopped. Okay, um, he, here's what is interesting. At no point, at no point did the brothers want to actually do to the cop what we have seen cops do to brothers. That's it. I just want to submit that. I want to submit that to you. We have seen officers murder people on camera, um, cheerfully do so. This was a very serious situation. And if there's criminal malfeasance, obviously they will be held accountable, no doubt about it. But what if it was the other way around? You had two cops doing something like this to a citizen. Would the narrative be the same? Of course not. That is the part. That makes the community suspicious and yes, at times even outraged. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. I was reading about this to prepare for this segment and it just seems very fishy. And I don't feel comfortable taking the police at their word here. I mean, how did we go just from just a standard road, road rage incident to you know multiple people being shot? Yeah. Just Seems like a lot of gaps there. And the only That's two right. people that were arrested were the, the two unaffiliated guys, the two brothers. It takes two to tango, right? I mean, how is this, this, this cop, the one who we really don't know the full story around the incident on the road, but we do know that at some point it escalated to a window and a car being broken. I'd like to know more. I'd like yep. to hear what these two brothers have to say, what led to that point. Because I do find it fishy that it's just this off-duty cop is just this innocent victim who also had a gun on him. People were shot, and the only two people were or who were arrested were these two brothers. There just seems like something led to this, and I would I would assume it's the cop being aggressive on the road because he feels entitled because he is a cop. That is probably what led them to re- react with such anger that they got out of the car and broke that window. I'm not saying that that's justified, but I think that would inform why this led to an altercation, including a fight on the road and a gun being discharged. You know, I found it quite interesting that the chief of detectives, when providing the defense for this officer, left out what actually happened in the exchange. So he goes detail, 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 then he says, and then words were exchanged. Wait a minute. See, that part is important, chief. Because that would indicate who was the aggressor, who made threats perhaps, who should have felt in danger. All right, I'm sure more will come. Police in Norfolk, Nebraska got a call about a a guy driving through town with a cow in the passenger seat. So they figured it's maybe a cute little baby calf. Well. Here's what they found. Oh! Oh, That's a full-size bull riding shotgun in a specially designed seat. An officer pulled him over. Turns out the bull's name is Howdy Doody. What? His owner takes him to parades and fairs around the state of Nebraska. The officer let him off with a warning, but told the owner to keep driving, leave town. 
and take Howdy Doody home. Okay, um, let's put up a picture here. So, you know, the guy actually got permission, kind of, uh, to do this, but the power, the powers that be assumed he had a cow that would fit inside of the vehicle. Well, I submit to you, the cow fits inside of the vehicle. I don't see what what the issue is here. Uh, Jordan, can a man put his cow inside of his car and drive down the street without being harassed by the police, sir? I like this. I think (laughs) it's probably distracting and maybe it, it reaches into another lane. I guess that's bad, but hey, if a guy and his cow just wants to go for a joy ride, just go take in. Uh, the big blue uh, Midwestern skies. Who are we to get involved? Exactly. Let, let them thrive. That's what the cow likes. The, the cow likes it, happy. sure. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fun. Happy. As long as it's not creating like a safety hazard or a distraction for other drivers, it's who cares? All right. The man went through. Uh, let's put the picture back up. Do you realize how much work this man went through to retrofit his car so that the cow can be comfortable on a long drive? Um, all right, Jordan, always a pleasure, uh, dear brother, have you on the show. Tell people they can follow you, check out your great work. Sure, uh, I host a podcast called The Insurgents. You can find us at insurgentspod.com and I'm on Twitter or X, the everything app now as it's called, yes. at, at Jordan Yule. Thank you Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right, we got more, the bullpen is next, stick and stay. All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. So I want a show of hands of everyone at this table who is racist. Oh my God. For me, race has never really been a thing. I've always thought of myself as being like kind of woke. I'm blinded to color, like it doesn't faze me at all. When we bleed, we bleed red. Because he was a white male, he was a victim of reverse racism. I understand you have issues with a skin color, but I don't believe that's our future. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would trade places with a black person in this society. Raise your hand. Fascinating stuff. The women behind it, none other than Regina Jackson and Syra Rao. Thank you both for joining us on Indisputable. How are you? Good, thank you. Glad to be here. All right, this is some fascinating stuff. Deconstructing Karen, a documentary in 2022. It highlighted some nuances, but it also provided some clarity. And I also think you made some breakthroughs here. So let me start with you, Regina. Why was this an important thing to do? Well, you know, I've been black for a very long time. <laughs> I've been through it. I've been through the civil rights movement. I've been through everything that people from my generation go through. And nothing much has changed. Um, 
and then we bring in uh, President Trump and it gets worse. So the battle is never over. You know, I can never sit back and say, okay, I've made it and I have a good life. I have good education, good job, so does my husband. But until my whole community has the same opportunities that I have, the fight's not over. Uh, Sarah, you are uh, an attorney by training. And uh, that means I'm in law school currently. So, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pray for me. Bless uh, you. I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it teaches you to, to look at things differently. You actually have to deconstruct based on a really analytical core. Um, did you utilize some of that with, with the Karenicity that we saw? And, <laughs> and what was some of the um, elements that surprised you from this documentary? You know, I think my life as a South Asian woman has prepared me for the Karenicity, Karenosity, mm -hmm. whatever you want to say, because um, white women have been white women my whole life. And, you know, our book, we have a best selling book called White Women Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. They know. They've known their whole lives, just like we black and brown people know. So I feel like just my regular life, not just being a lawyer by training, has trained me to deal with them because they, they, they do the same thing. It's it's every dinner, we really see the same thing. We've done so many dinners at this point, and it's defensiveness, it's gaslighting, it's tone policing, it's denial, denial, denial. We see it every time. It doesn't matter if it's London or Fort Lauderdale, it's, it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Regina, the race to dinner dynamic, right? Um, sought to, you know, create an opportunity for people to just talk. Uh, nothing scripted, authentic uh, conversation, right? You, you throw a little wine in there, uh, you start getting even more authentic conversation. One of the dynamics for me that still strikes me as significantly ironic is this, and I want I want you to tell us how you feel. When a person will say. Racism does not exist, or America is not a racist country, etc. And then turn around and also say that they or somebody they know who's white has experienced racism. They called it reverse racism. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, reverse racism does not exist. What reverse racism is white people getting their feelings hurt because they've always been privileged. And now that we're looking for equality and equity, their feelings are hurt. That's all that is, Race, reverse racism is not a thing. Do you think you reach some uh, Karens, so-called, in this um, race to dinner or highlighting some of the conversations? Did you have some significant breakthrough? I think we have, we've got women, we have a community online and we've got white women who are committed to being in that community, to talking, we have discussions, to talking about racism and to stopping it when they see it and hear it. And that's my ask, quit pretending like you don't see. We know you see, we know you know, stop it. Very well said, um, Syra, uh, naturally individuals pretty much contextualize experiences based on their own lens. Uh, and when they are challenged that maybe their experience is not the experience of everyone else. They can either revert back to a very selfish point of view or consider that other people actually know how they are treated and how their experience has impacted them. 
in the process of this, did you see individuals, these Karens, start coming to that realization that their experience may be authentic, but it doesn't mean that it is the only experience that others have? That's a great question, and the answer is yes. So further to what Regina was saying in terms of do we see white women having sort of a catharsis or a change? Yeah, it happens in all sorts of different ways. It, it, as Regina noted in our online community, but even at the dinners themselves, you know, like we had a white woman say not too long ago outside of New York City, in in front of people, in front of her peers, how her daughter, who's white, they live in an apartment building. Her best friend, they're seven, okay. Her best friend spending the night at her house. She's black, and this white woman hears this kid's footsteps in the middle of the night. And she said, the first thing that comes to mind is not, is she okay? Is this friend, best friend of my daughter okay? But is she stealing from me? Mm. So she said that out loud. That's one of many things that we've heard. But once you have, you say that out loud, it becomes real. And you actually have to deal with it. And hopefully you're not gonna do it again. Hopefully it changes you know, something within you. So that's sort of like the, the self-realization. Yeah, sure. I mean, Regina and I talk often about our experiences. And sometimes there is denialism, like, oh, are you sure you didn't read into that? That you know, that happens to me too. That's not racism. But more often than not, the women who show up at these dinners are self-identifying. They've come to the table. We haven't brought them in kicking and screaming and clubbing them over the head, even though that's what Fox News says about us, essentially, that we've like drugged these women and, and brought them to the table. They come on their own volition and they want to listen and learn and unlearn. And they'll be like, wow, hadn't thought about that before. White people live in cocoons. They live in white cocoons. And sometimes it's the first time they've actually had a real conversation with a black woman and an Asian woman. You make a great point about acknowledgement. I typically say to my college students, you cannot obtain transformation without acknowledgement. Acknowledgement is required for transformation. Regina, I want to ask you this question about the transformation. But there's a prerequisite because everybody doesn't transform. Everybody will not see it. People will walk away believing they have actually been you know, more empowered in their original belief. What makes the difference? What is the difference between a Karen who says, I'm going to keep Karen in, in these streets, <laughs> and one who says, I have seen the woes of my way and I'm going to transform? What's the difference maker? I think it is people who have the emotional intelligence to look inside and say, do the analysis within your own internal being and saying, I need to change things here. And that is very important because I believe we all know right from wrong. We know some of us choose to say, okay, what I've been doing is wrong and I need to make some changes. And then some people doesn't. But that comes from acknowledging that you were wrong or you need to learn or you need to grow. So if you want to continue to grow, you acknowledge things and you work on yourself. You do the inner work. Can yeah. I add? Can I add one thing to that? Absolutely. Actually, um, you know, white supremacy is killing everybody, including white people. That's right. And if you don't see that in 2023 with the climate catastrophe, we, we're experiencing our first extinction summer. If you don't see that with guns, we're up to two mass shootings a day. Guns are white supremacy. The Second Amendment is white supremacy. Climate catastrophe is white supremacy colonialism. So 
what we're also seeing is there are white people who finally have recognized that white supremacy and the toxic whiteness living within themselves is killing them and killing their kids and killing humanity. And they want to save themselves, they want to save their kids, they want to save humanity. This is not an allyship situation, this is accomplice behavior. Like we need to save ourselves and we are seeing that more and more now. White people finally waking up to the fact that white supremacy doesn't end well for anybody. We're all connected, we are all connected. And there's a cause and effect relationship to everything that exists in this universe. And I wish people would get that part. A little bit more inside of their soul, the interconnectedness of all things. Dr. King talked about it. Yep. Um, we've had uh, significant stories right here on Indisputable where if the officer would have just investigated the case that was against the black woman when the black woman was a victim, this other white woman would have never been killed because a killer was allowed to remain at large cause of no investigative prowess, cause and effect relationship. Well, mm-hmm. connected. Um, I do something not as dangerous as what you all do. Um, I work with gang members uh, to restore and remedy conflict and restore their self dignity. You all work with another gang called Karen. Karen's have been known to be dangerous. Some Karen's are extremely dangerous. You all are literally risking your lives uh, in some instance because things could go foul. What is the response if a Karen goes to the extreme? Or do you have a vetting protocol to make sure that you try to limit those types of violent interactions we've seen by those engaged in the psychological dynamic of Karenicity? And I'll start with you with that, Regina. Um, you know, some things that we know we have to do is if we do these big events, we have to have security. You know, that's a given yeah. because of the work. At the dinners, we make the hosts responsible for interrupting the violence. For We have a crime room. The only rule we have is that white women cannot sit at the dinner table and cry. Because mm. when a white woman cries, a black man dies. So we don't allow that. So those are some of the things that we do to protect ourselves. Wow, that's a hell of a rule. <laughs> but I, so needed, so absolutely needed. because of the weaponization dynamic of it. Um, uh, to um, Ms. Rout, this is going to be an interesting, uh, you know, future, 2023 and beyond, because people are becoming more aware. Um, but what would you say uh, to those who are watching, and they have these experiences? With Karen, what's the best way to deconstruct the Karen in real time? In your opinion, well, that's a that's a great question because we're still working on that. We've had plenty, we've had to deconstruct a few Karens uh, this summer, in fact. And I would say this honestly, our movie—it's been really wild to us, Dr. Ritchie. And the movie came out last Thanksgiving, and our book came out November one of last year, and it's now I think it's seventh or eighth printing. It's a New York Times bestseller. People are responding to it, and and this is the reason we did it because Regina and I are only two people, and there's only so much we can scale with one dinner at a time. So we did this so we could kind of encapsulate every. The book captures every single. White woman behavior, silence, perfectionism, what it's like to work with white women, microaggressions, all these things. I would ask, I mean, the, the greatest thing is black and brown women have said, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for doing this movie because I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel ungaslit. And so I'd say, please hand them our book. 
tell them to watch your movie. It's 73 minutes long. You can download it on iTunes. And I think that's a great place to start. Well said. Now, I know this is against your protocol, not a normative request, but damn it, y'all got to get me one of these dinners. Just one. <laughs> All right, just one. <laughs> You know, I'm a person who confronts people with nonsense. I do it all the time in my life. I do it. And, um, you know, it's just, I'm not disrespectful. I just affirm myself and say, you know, that was not kind. And I just did it on an airplane. You know, we have this protocol. You wait for the people in front of you to get out, right? So this woman's behind me and I'm like, wait a minute. This young man needs to get out and I need to get out. And she says, well, he's waiting. I said, fine, I need to get out. And she said, well, I've got um, uh, something. Uh, She's having a a breakdown. I said, I'm having one too. And she said, I need to get off of here. I said, we all need to get off of here. I said, you can be kind and wait your turn. I do it all the time. You know, we have a thing called anti-Karens on Indisputable where we highlight people that speak up. And here's the thing, if more individuals who would try to do what she did to you, if they knew that there would be somebody around to challenge that kind of action, you would see less of it. Yes, because because we would, you know, in the societal construct, kind of self-police rudeness and bullies so that they're not so, well, let's just say proud. Um, ladies, thank you both. Thank you. And we would love for you to come. We're going to be in New York City on October 27th, the Town Hall in Midtown Manhattan. And you're welcome to come join us up, up on stage at our table there. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be awesome. All right, so we got we to gotta connect. I appreciate what you all do. We got to bring you back. Uh, thank you. This is very important because I have seen the individuals who had their aha moment. That is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful dynamic and you can see the, the light in them once they get that point, that moment, something has to happen. Humanity, it's about humanity. That's right, Yeah. that's right. Thank you both. Thank Thank you. you. All right, this has been indisputable. Don't forget, please remember, please remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.